Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafrey. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is episode number 36, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm your host, Joe Peterson, here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. With me, as always, the other host, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, Coming to you live here from beautiful downtown Chicago, Illinois. I'm not downtown, and it's not beautiful out right now either, but... (laughs) It works. I don't... Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway... I'm here, so... Yeah, things are going pretty good? Yeah, things are going good. We are in the process of moving... Well, and we're not even in the process of moving yet. We're in the even more fun part of, like, actually selling and buying a new place at the same time, which Ooh. is, you know, one of my all-time favorite things, you know, right next to, like, a root canal mm-hmm. or major surgery um, to do in life is, yeah. you know, buying and selling real estate. So, anyway... Um, Actually, my um, one of my realtors mentioned she may listen to the podcast, so probably shouldn't be talking a whole lot of uh, shit. But oh well, you know, hey, it's not her fault that it's a it's a process I don't enjoy. She's uh, helping us out a lot. And... It's the nature of the beast. Yeah. It's the nature yeah, of it. It's exactly. just the way it goes. So, if, if, any... if it wasn't for those people, I would enjoy it even less because I would have no idea what I was doing. Oh so, yeah, there's the yeah. But... Yeah, I, I that was like the ultimate imposter syndrome was buying a house. Like, yeah, I'll sign this because okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what, what I'm, I'm doing. I always deal in, in you know numbers that have that many zeros and yeah, you know, of course. So, so yeah, it's <laughs> it's been uh, it's been an interesting week or two here. You know, uh, we were talking a week ago or so about you know crappy weather that seems to be nonstop. And I know over the, over yeah. the holiday season you were dealing with people. You know, your your daughter being sick and everybody in the house being sick. And somehow I managed oh, yeah. to come down That's... with a cold. Um. Right before the uh, semester began, the next the new semester oh, began. Funny. I don't know how. Usually, I get a cold after it does because I'm now all around all these people that are coughing and sneezing. But somehow, I managed to catch a cold beforehand. But the worst part about that, so you got to be the one that got everyone else sick. This yeah, year, right? right. And and the the <laughs> thing that was most disturbing about it is, um, you know, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we talked about our Stephen King miniseries. I've been going through a lot of Stephen King audiobooks, and I recently started The Stand. And there is nothing creepier than reading the stand when you have a cold. 
Oh, yeah. Because, you know, when you're coughing and sneezing in between listening to it, it's just like, oh, shit. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> but I feel like I've successfully fought off Captain Trip, so. I'm, yeah. Now I just decide, do I go you're to. You're one, one of the survivors. Yeah, right? do I go see Mother Abigail or do I go to Vegas? I don't know. We'll, we'll, I guess we'll find out. But it's always the always the choice. It's always the choice. That's right. But so well, we, yeah, we uh, we got a the one we're going to be talking about tonight is one that I don't know. I mean, I I watch this one every couple of years, but as I've mentioned before, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Night of the Demons. It's always different to rewatch a film specifically for the purpose of like taking notes on it for for the podcast for the show and uh, you notice things you're more alert about things that that you maybe missed when you're just sitting back and watching it and the uh, film we're going to be watching or talking about that we watched tonight is the 1997 science fiction horror film event horizon directed by paul ws anderson Yes, who had not added the WS to his name no, yet. No, he hadn't yet, yeah, so just Paul Anderson. And you know <laughs> because what? Because of the, the, the constantly being confused with the um, P.T. Anderson. Other <laughs> yeah. Film, yeah, filmmaker P.T. Anderson. So they both threw some initials around, and then, you know, everybody was clear. This morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon is the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where has she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space... There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back alone. Captain Miller! I've got some problems here! This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been and what it's brought back with it. This ship is reacting to us and the reactions are getting stronger. What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? I have such wonderful things to show you. Oh my god! It knows my secrets. It knows my fears. Vacate, I want off this ship. Can't leave. She won't let you. God help us. And you know what? I think a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, we had mentioned on the show that we would be reviewing this one. I was kind of gushing about it already, and um, yeah, it, it was it was kind of 
it was kind of an odd experience to watch this one again, not to, you know, just let the cat out of the bag, but I, I did still enjoy this one, but I noticed a lot more issues with it this time than previous times. Um, and and I, I am trying to keep in mind that I, I'm actually not a huge fan of this Paul Anderson. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, so I, I actually, and I don't think like, when I first saw Event Horizon that I realized he was the director, because I don't think he was a huge director at the time. I mean, I believe this was his second film. I mean, his second feature um, follow-up yeah, to Mortal Kombat. I, and Mortal Kombat was the one that he got, you know, yeah. that, that made him a bunch of money and made him a, not a household name, but, you know, a, a, he was getting jobs at the time. And uh, so this was the follow-up to that. Um, this movie and Mortal Kombat, I think, are the two movies of his that I enjoy. And Mortal Kombat, for different reasons, it's a bit on the stupid side, but I actually think it's it's a watchable fairly entertaining movie especially for one based on a fighting video, video game, game. But, yeah i was um, gonna say that like yeah i've got a, a place in my heart for mortal Kombat, but it's not because it's a yeah. good film <laughs> right right it's kind of a it's kind of a poor modernized remake of enter the dragon without bruce lee which was the best thing about enter the dragon so yeah. um anyway that's a totally different review for a different time but um everything post event horizon I don't care for that he's done, and I haven't seen his more recent stuff. But I kind of, I kind of clung on to like, oh, I think, I think he's, you know, I like these two movies, so I'm gonna keep watching his movies. And no, I never saw anything. I kept, I kept giving him a chance. I kept assume, thinking he was gonna make another good movie, and yeah, I haven't seen one yet. I, I, so. I think I, I supposedly the uh, Death Race movies, new Death Race movies, are not bad, and he directed those. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, so, I did yeah. see the first two or three Resident Evil films and I kept waiting for them to be good but yeah. Yeah, I just never never got into the Resident Evil I mean, even to be honest, the, Me neither. the games I think I played one of them and I was like, alright, it's alright um, right. and then he did Alien Resident versus... Evil and we spent a lot of time bad-mouthing in the Underworld series, which I don't really mean to do but, um, I mean, in a way I do but we keep coming back to it, it's not yeah. so bad that I need to keep coming yeah. back to it all the time, but the Resident Evil series always kind of reminded me of the Underworld series, like this big, long, popular series that not a single one of them are actually really that good to me. Um, and they just it just kept going and going, and I kept giving it more and more chances. Um, Resident Evil, that is. I didn't watch all the Underworld ones. And, no, I, I still, to this day, would say that I don't really enjoy those films. So. Yeah, and I mean, I, he did Alien vs. Predator in 2004, and that was kind of, mm-hmm. that was such a letdown. Um yeah. Well, then again, every alien and predator thing since the '80s has been a letdown, in my opinion. But that's just me. Um, yeah. And and also, he is married to uh, Mia Jovovich, which he you know started working with on the Resident Evil films. And uh, I don't know because she's in. So yeah, many I mean, of I think films, in, in I'm general, a, I'm not he's... a fan of her either. So. <laughs> Yeah, he, in general, he's yeah. a talented guy. I don't think he, I, I'm not going to rip on him necessarily. It just I, he. He's got a style about him too, and um, it works for what he does. And there are people that adore those movies. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, more power to him. I it's just not my thing. But, oh, but to I, bring it back to Event Horizon, yeah. this is a movie that I saw in 1997, and I loved this movie when yeah. I saw it the first time. Yeah, I remember this one playing. There was a, a a a movie theater in Rockford, Illinois, right outside of Cherryvale Mall in Cherry Valley, so right outside of Rockford, and. Um, there was a mall that had a theater in it that I worked at, actually, that was, like, second run. And then there was the, the triplex, the, the building outside that was bigger screens, and there were three three screens there. 
and um, mm-hmm. a, a friend of mine from from high school. He and his brother both worked for the same. We all worked together, and um, I remember him peeking his head. One of our friends peeking his head into the theater during this one, and it just what he saw freaked him out. And so it was kind of built up to me like this is a really fucking scary movie. And I remember watching yeah. it, going, "Yeah, it really was creepy." Um, you know, so I guess to to give this one a bit of a uh, to, to summarize it a bit, so it's set in, in uh, 2047. It follows a crew of astronauts sent on a rescue mission after a missing ship, the Event Horizon, spontaneously appears in orbit around Neptune. Searching, for so- uh, searching the ship for signs of life, the rescue crew learns that the Event Horizon was a testbed for an experimental engine that opened a rift in the space-time continuum and left our universe entirely, allowing a hostile entity to possess the ship. So it's... Alien meets H.P. Lovecraft, if you will. Yeah, and, and and that is like the the way that I've always heard this, you know, movie described. Mm-hmm. That is from to... Wikipedia, by the way. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's kind of always the way I thought of it too. And I'm gonna, I have let's let's we'll talk a little more about the movie before we get to it. But I have some thoughts on whether it really is or that's just kind of a a way for everyone everyone tends to use the word lovecraftian for anything they can't really wrap their head around yeah. <laughs> and uh so i let, let's save that a little bit later but we'll come back to that is like is this movie really lovecraftian or is it yeah um first thing i noticed about this upon like you know starting to watch it again is that this movie has a fantastic cast. Yes. And I don't think I would have noticed how fantastic it was the first time I saw it, but because there were some some of my favorite like uh, supporting or character actors in this movie, and Jason Jason Isaacs and Sean Pertwee. Yep. Um, uh, a very young Sean also, Pertwee. Wow, yeah. Yeah, both, both Jason Isaacs and Sean Pertwee are very young in this movie. Um, and then, of course, two great leads, Lawrence yep. Fishburne and uh, Sam Neill, who both were kind of in every movie at this point. Like, they just seem to be, um, well, Kathleen, late 90s, these guys yeah. are doing... And Kathleen yeah. Quinlan, who was in a bunch of stuff around this time as well. Yep, yep. So, yeah, it's sure. got a phenomenal and cast. Yeah, she's been, she's really great in some, a lot of things, too. But, yeah, in fact, I... This, this actually... Maybe I shouldn't... Maybe I think for... Not to get too far ahead, but to... Maybe I think the Lovecraft connection for this one is because Sam Neill is in this around the same time, or you know, not not terribly far off from this. He was also in uh, the Mouth of Madness, which is John Carpenter's kind of you know swan yes. song to H.P. Lovecraft. Movie and I think there, there actually are some similar is very Lovecraft. That one's extremely <laughs> Lovecraftian. Like there's even similar yeah. names, but um, right. And like, I think this to the one, point where I would say that in the Mouth of Madness is probably the most faithful adaptation it's not an adaptation directly of lovecraft but the most faithful anyone's ever been to kind of the spirit of lovecraft i agree i I agree yeah period absolutely yeah anyway but this but this (laughs) and so i can see why people make that connection maybe that's my subconscious connection to this but um i i guess going into a little bit of um of this film it this was another one i guess kind of like you know when we talked about night of the demons that was a commercial and critical failure it it grossed $26.7 million based on its $60 million budget. Um, But just like Night of the Demons as well, it has developed a cult following on home video. 
Um, I think this one got a cult following going pretty quickly after its video release. Yeah. Like it, it was a what, what they used to call a sleeper hit. You know, something that would, and I'm sure that's that still kind of applies nowadays. But what what people meant by that was, you know, we would kind of criti- critically and uh, commercially bomb out of the box office, but then kind of have a resurgence yeah. on in the home video market. Probably the best example I can think of off the top of my head of something that became a phenomenon that way is the movie The Boondock Saints, if anybody's familiar yeah. with that. Big Lebowski, um, too. Big Lebowski was a huge yeah, sleeper yeah. hit. Yeah. But I and this one still holds up in ways of... Um, I mean, I'll be honest, visual effects do, don't hold up on this one anymore because you're looking at, no. at 1997-era well, CGI, which... Uh, it depends what visual... Because there's some practical effects in this that are still plenty yeah. gross and wonderful, uh, but the CG is... Uh, that's one of the first things I wrote, is that the CG in this is is really bad. Like, yeah. it's not just bad, like, looking back on it. I think it's just... It's 1997 bad. It's not... It doesn't cut it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they, it does one of the same things. I think other Paul Anderson movies, or Paul W.S. Anderson movies, are like this for me as well. And that he they use CG for things that, in my opinion, don't need to be CG. Like, why why did we have the floating tools and the anti-gravity in the beginning? Why is that all computer animated? Why don't we just... I mean, it's probably... Yeah. It's probably because they went and they went, oh, that shot looks uninteresting. Let's, you know, they're in post-production at this point and saying this this doesn't look super interesting. Let's put some floating stuff in there. Um, and I'm sure that's the reason why. Well, that and I but, think it... Uh, this was it always w- kind of gets on my nerves when something totally could be easily done practically is done with CG for reasons I can't I, I think even begin to imagine. I, I've, I've always thought, especially because it is in particular starting to happen more and more in the late 90s. And I think that's when yeah. CGI started becoming more cost-effective, and it actually started mm-hmm. becoming cheaper than practical effects. So, uh, it you know we can render a wrench and a pair of pliers, and we can have them floating in post-production, you know, on on this green screen rather than actually pay somebody to rig it all up. So I, I yeah. wonder if that's what it was, but unfortunately the it it and I I don't remember anybody criticizing the visual effects in 1997. And I don't. I'm not reading any criticisms about them in reviews from then. So I think it's just one of those that the CGI doesn't hold up over time as well. And we can see that in a number of films from the from the 90s when, you know, the CGI was cool when it first came out, and you watch it now, and it's just it looks like a cartoon, but it didn't back then because yeah. you know, I mean, look at look at some of the actually. I, I'll be honest. Even some of the shots from Lord of the Rings today are a little dodgy. <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember thinking some of that stuff was dodgy even back then. But yeah. you know, it was what it was. Um, what do you think of the plot of this? Yeah, one, I mean, I mean this it's, is, it's pretty. I kind of. A, I love the concept yeah. of this film, and that is still what I love about it. There's a lot of things in this film I don't love, but the concept of it mm-hmm. is fantastic. And um, I went back. I was kind of trying to summarize like what is it about this movie that I love so much, or what, about the concept that I love so much. And I was kind of reading through Wikipedia, and I um, kind of reading about Paul Anderson's and who uh, the, when the screenwriter pitched it to him, and also to the studio. Yeah, Phil Eisner. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. What exactly? Kind of hit the nail on the head, and that is that they. He said that it's essentially a haunted house movie in space, and I went, "Oh yeah, yeah, it is yeah. totally. That's exactly why it's so interesting. Is it is that's exactly what it is. It's the old creepy house, right? It's the legend uh, behind it, and it just it's replaced with." There's this, you know, legendary ship that went out, disappeared. Uh, turns out it's been, you know, using wormhole technology um, and kind of comes back 
and uh, they get to go. It's been missing for seven years, and who knows where, and they get to go kind of explore the... So essentially, yeah, it's a, it's a haunted house movie that takes place in space. Um, I was a little let down. I remember thinking this was really high concept and thinking it was so cool when I was a teenager and I saw it the first time. Um, I was let down by the fact that they don't really talk much about wormhole theory or dimensional... Um, they have that one scene where Sam Neill does the paper. I mean, we've all seen yeah. that, uh, the folded paper explanation. And then they kind of let that be enough explanation for the movie. And it works. It works. I mean, I don't think anyone's, like, totally confused by it. But there was a really cool um, moment there where you could have actually put some real science in this movie, and they decided not to, which sucks. Yeah, but... yeah, you're right. They do the they do the, the folding space poke a hole through the paper thing which of course has now been done a million times it's been the whole concept behind the stranger things series on netflix uh in a way it's kind of also played around with uh, again the netflix film uh, cloverfield paradox gets into some of that kind of stuff too with interdimensional Hmm. travel um that's a a letdown of a film we'll talk about i guess for another time but uh, this um yeah (laughs) also in the very beginning of that film there is an it like a I was kind of hitting myself in the head, and again, this might be a little nitpicky, but um, there's a scene where they're all kind of the the security tapes, and they they get security tapes uh, from the uh, Event Horizon from the original crew, the, the ship's log essentially, and um, are trying to figure out what happened to them. And there's this big like, oh my god, this you know, uh, I think it's Jason Isaac's character, the Doctor. It's like, oh, you know, I, I, I play that back again. Oh, I think it's Latin, and he, he translates the Latin, and I went, wait a second. These are people, Dr. Weir and also some of the, the ranking officers, uh, even though they are, are generally military-type uh, characters. But I'm like, These, this is a society that can hmm. design a gravity drive. This is a society that can filter audio they've already run this thing through filters and 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 down to individual wavelengths where they're manipulating manipulating wavelengths they don't have technology that can recognize latin in something um (laughs) they have to you know they have to incidentally hear it but anyway i don't know anyway again it's nitpicking that's really not a big deal it just (laughs) well yeah um and and actually no sorry go ahead sorry no i was just gonna say that this the um the, the production of this one too i guess was um I was just going to mention that there, there's a, a, a number of deleted scenes from this. Yes. That a lot of deleted footage, especially of some of the things that the original crew are doing when they, they go crazy. And there's essentially this big blood orgy. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was shot um, in, in a very realistic way, I guess, where they actually, you know... Um, had amputees on the set and had <laughs> mm-hmm. they were pornographic actors and stuff <laughs> yep. to try to make it more yeah, realistic according... and some of that stuff got out later because it wasn't used in the film but it got out later and people were like what the fuck is this yeah and supposedly and i was gonna get to this later it was on my list of things to talk about but this film um had a lot of stuff cut from it by the MPAA to get an R rating. Yeah. So obviously things like the, you know, legendary blood orgy scene in it, I should say, I don't know if it's really legendary, but um, infamous um, blood orgy scene and such. Uh, I heard that didn't even make it to the MPAA from what I was reading. It yeah. actually was cut by producers saw it and were so like, oh my, you know, so off put by it. They wanted it removed immediately. 
Um, there was also a significant amount of footage cut from the, the ending or climax of the film as well. Mm-hmm. All because it was too gory or too violent or too graphic or whatever. Um, so the movie goes out. It's a flop. And eventually, you know, a year later, two years later, becomes a big sleeper hit on video. And when it becomes a big hit, um, Paul Anderson and um, I know you said the screenwriter's name. I'm missing it now. Phil Eisner yeah. um, got interested in like, oh, well, you know, it's it's a big hit now. Maybe we can actually get our cut of this movie or our preferred cut of this movie out, you know, a director's cut or whatever. So he actually did go back to the studio and request this footage back. Yeah. Um, and studio told him, no, it's been destroyed. <laughs> There's there it doesn't exist. There is no um, footage, so it's still something. Supposedly, Paul Anderson gets questions about when he does conventions and such. Is there's any way anyone's ever gonna find this footage? Because people would like to see the director's cut of Event Horizon. Me being one of them. Yeah. Because I think the the creepiest moments in this movie all come from those two sections of the film, and I would love to see what the actual vision of that was. Uh, especially because it's such a bizarre story. Like you said, they hired amputees and porn actors to make this like a really convincingly realistic scene um and i i think some of the stuff some of the elements of it replays with the actual cast in the end of the film as well which almost all of that hit the cutting room floor and then subsequently was destroyed by the studio unfortunately so um well and i, and I th- guess it's lost forever and i guess i mean it's not it's not something i'm going to lose sleep over necessarily but i i think it would have been would have been cool to see an unrated director's cut of this one yeah, and I and I think one of the reasons why this also gets the whole Lovecraftian thing compared to it every now and then is because of the role of insanity. Um, and yeah, and you know it, it, that's not something that's done too much in haunted house movies, which is what sets this one apart a little bit. And that you know your well, typical haunted house it's... movies are kind of like what we talked about with Night of the Demons, right? Where it's like escape from these monsters or creepy things around every corner, your typical Evil Dead kind of stuff. But in this one, it just going mad and and space plays such. Well, an I think important it has something a little one. more in common with um, haunted haunted house movies like um, like The Haunting or um, Haunting of Hill House, which yeah. I haven't seen the new Netflix series. I'm actually thinking about the old. Um, it's very good. Um, yeah, movie with. Um, was in the haunting of hill house anyway um yeah so i like the i think that kind of because those movies very much dealt with um the idea of insanity and um yeah uh this one has a a very strong alien vibe to it as well and i think that's oh yeah it made me realize that's i think what one of the things that makes aliens so good is that it's essentially also a haunted house movie in space except it's a creature Right, but it's right same kind of things. It's just not supernatural. Well, I, the, and this one this actually is, is cool that it doesn't involve aliens, which yeah. is really cool. And actually, I think they were really the original script supposedly did. Mm-hmm. It was an alien presence that was driving everybody mad, and just um, Paul Anderson did a rewrite yeah. on the script. And I don't know who agrees or who you know. Um, I, I I think they worked peacefully throughout the whole process, but supposedly Paul Anderson did a pretty heavy rewrite of this script. And that was one of the things he changed. Is he wanted it to be supernatural or something unexplained that came through the door, yeah, uh, or came from the dimensional door. But you mentioned the the 
similarities to Alien, and it's not just similarities. I feel like beat for beat, this movie is essentially is Alien in a lot of ways. One of the things that makes me a little... Judging it a little more harshly, but yeah, I just... um, but I don't know. On that same note, it's it's some of its similarities to Alien is why I like it so much. It's just this kind of like, yeah, overwhelming sense of isolation and like, um, I don't know, just impending doom, kind of the helplessness that man has against, you know, the cosmos or whatever you want to, however you want to say it. But um, well, yeah, and especially with the whole, you know, that that it's not aliens. That actually, it's more that at least the way I always kind of took it, is that the ship opened up a portal to, and, and was visited visited to, um, mm-hmm. an alternate dimension which is ruled by chaos, essentially. Uh, yeah. And so there's actually also a bit of... Well, this is also a bit of a Hellraiser literal... in space, in a way, too. Which oh, we've yeah. already had Hellraiser in space, but this one does it a little bit better. Um, right. And actually there's a, a growing fan theory... That this is also, it's one of these cool fan theories where no, it's not, but it works, right? Where the uh, the popular uh, tabletop game Warhammer 40k, that yes, this actually yeah. fits in with that mythology, which I'm not really that familiar with the details of Warhammer, so I'm not gonna try to. But uh, it, I'm not either. Uh, I've always been really attracted to like. Not the game itself. The miniatures. I, not that I would be... Yeah, it's just it's a lot to get into. It looks like a cool game. But um, but the like novel series that got so big... Um, I don't know, there's hundreds of them at this point. But um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, really rich and well-developed universe. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's even some people like this... T- this could... If, if you played around with the story, right? Somebody started writing fan fiction, they could easily tie this in with Hellraiser, Chronicles of Riddick, Warhammer and Doom, and I could see wow. all of that. Right, that'd be one. Yeah, I mean, hell of a I mean, shared it's got universe. Little, little <laughs> bits of uh, similarity to all of those things. Doom is definitely one for sure. I mean, the the portals, uh, dimensional portals opening to hell. I mean, that was kind of the basis behind that game, right? Um, and then creatures, you know, kind of pouring out of them. Um, yeah, it just it's again, it's it's. It's something that I really love in concept. Like this whole idea is is pretty fantastic. It's execution. Now that I have to go back and be critical of the film, I think it's a generally enjoyable movie. I think there's this great sense of like building. I called it impending doom earlier, and that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. But like it just like this building tension. Um, the more and more you feel that isolation of what I mean, we don't know. We don't know what deep space travel would really be like but it's it's the way we kind of picture it it's it's pretty terrifying stuff right you know having to be not only um crossing great distances having to like go into some sort of hypersleep to preserve your body because of the amount of time and, yeah. and age and and the, the destruction it would do on your physical form um but also being once you are out there and you're exploring and you know putting yourself in danger there's just no help from anywhere there's no escape from anything if something fails on you um i remember you know watching alien and the crew of the nostromo in that movie just the the way they kind of are just don't have any options like about you know going anywhere or getting any help from anybody it's right 
you're stranded and and stuck with the situation so yeah um, that, that is something i mean it's it's one of the few well i mean right star trek right it's it's the final frontier is space and mm-hmm. and i can right. only imagine that you know hundreds of years ago when when people were getting on ships and sailing out into the oceans and wondering what they're going to find right and we're, we're talking back when when sea monsters were considered a valid thing to be worried about um because they didn't know what was out there you know those kind of fears uh i'm i'm sure that's things that modern day astronauts worry about not monsters but just the whole like you know there is nowhere to go if you have a problem it's not like you can just go yeah. home and try it again the next day yeah. and when you're talking about deep space travel um you know, and I, I think that's something that that's a major misconception. Not to not to go off on a weird science tangent here, but one of the big misconceptions is uh, with a lot of people is how difficult it is to actually do any kind of of space travel, and how you know with with our own space program, right? We've been to the moon. We've been to the moon. Let's just fucking say it, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I gotta you get know, any arguments for me. So <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not really that far away, considering. <laughs> mars or jupiter right or i was gonna say even compared to our own solar system it's a trip to the backyard so it's you know most most space travel has just been like we go up we come back down or we go up we zip around but we're not actually that far away from earth and even in that instance there's a whole bunch of issues um Mm. so you know that that kind of thing is just prime for use here in uh, you know in in science fiction and science fiction horror and it's been used very effectively in alien and this is another example where it's been used very very effectively um, yeah and actually I would also like to throw in one of my other favorite science fiction movies that kind of fits in but it's not supernatural at all but is the Martian uh, which also like you're stuck you're there there's nothing you can do yeah. so um, yeah but this this is uh, I actually, the, the more I was like on Reddit reading people's comments about this, I saw a lot of comparisons, <laughs> which is a horrible thing to do, by the way, ever. But um, I saw yeah. quite a lot of comparisons to Hellraiser with this. And that feels like that's a, a really, again, I know that's not an intentional connection, but I could totally see that. If some, if this would have been yeah. slightly rewritten, it very well could have served as hell, the, a better Hellraiser I, in space. I certainly don't think that it's outside of the realm of influence on this film like they did i mean they directly quoted uh, paul anderson directly said that his main influences for this movie were were the haunting and the shining and um you know other haunted house movies like that with especially the ones with like we talked about earlier with that degree of um insanity or sanity being kind of the source of the distress um obviously shining was a big big influence on him because yeah. of the you know major homage with the the blood uh-huh. um the the river of blood that came out of the what would you even call it the center of the control room or whatever in this but obviously an homage to the famous elevator scene in stanley kubrick's shining film um and the simpsons yeah i, I mean i think it borrowed so yeah i think it borrowed borrowed from some of those kind of films but I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility that Hell Hellraiser is an influence on this. I think it's there's too many things that bear some similarity for them not to have been aware of that. So what what are your um, thoughts on? I mean, we we mentioned it at the beginning, and you can probably tell I'm I'm gnawing at the bit to get to it. But 
What yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts then on the the claims that this has Lovecraftian elements to it? I on you know I I always kind of just took that as yeah it's Lovecraftian. At the the time when I originally saw it, I had probably read very little. I was just kind of starting to get into reading H.P. Lovecraft, and. Then I subsequently saw it, and I think I still just kind of kind of assumed because I've read it so many times that it's a, you know, very influenced by Lovecraft movie that it's Lovecraftian in some way. I'm not sure. There, okay, the main element of there being another dimension and there being some kind of a force, you know, a, an unstoppable force of evil breaking through into it, that is generally Lovecraftian. Yeah. Okay, I'll give it that. I don't see anything else in this movie that is. Um... And that's not to take away from the movie. Like, right. I don't think that makes it bad. No. I just think it, I just think people are associating it with that because, like I said earlier, like people tend to anything that's like horror that's kind of like weirdly sci-fi too. People are like, "Oh, that's Lovecraftian," or if it has a creature that has a tentacle yeah. wallet on it, you know, like <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I see a whole lot of Lovecraft in this. I see the things that Paul Anderson was talking about being an influence. Oh, um, for sure. For and sure. I think I saw those before I, like, it's not because I read they were an influence. Like, I think I saw that, and I, and I love that idea about it. I love the concept of the the whole, like, Haunted House in Space movie. Um, I wish the movie would actually have been as good as I remember. Like, I, I um, you know what, actually, like, let's say this for the review. Like, I, I want to hear your thoughts about the Lovecraft I, I uh, think I, I actually think that the element of madness... Uh, okay. It yeah. is a big yeah. part of it, and that's something that's so common, especially in like the Cthulhu mythos and a bit of the Lovecraft's dream cycles and stuff. So, I I mm-hmm. I, I see when when people say it's Lovecraftian, again, not saying it's intended to be, but that it, it fits into that kind of subgenre of sci-fi horror. Um, you know, lo- a lot of Lovecraft stuff dealt with interdimensional or or interspace. Uh, entities, I don't even want to say creatures, though that is a thing, right. but uh, entities yeah. that are inherently evil and the people that are, are subjected to that are driven to complete madness, which the last scene of the movie shows madness, right? Mm. Their, their brains have snapped, essentially. Um, so I think that is where I tend to subscribe to, like, yeah, this fits, this this would fit. This could be, um, you know, like a, a Lovecraftian style. Um, again, I don't I don't think it was intentional. In fact, I, I agree that the, yeah. with what you said earlier that and really the best could the best been. Lovecraft film ever made was probably Mouth of Madness. <laughs> which, mouth, yeah. It's just because it, it not only deals with the same themes certainly... but it does it the right way. Um, but this it just feels like to me that yeah, if you were gonna make a movie, a Lovecraft styled movie in space, you'd get Event Horizon. You'd get something similar yeah. to it, yeah. And I agree. Some of the like, some of the the, the main concepts are there. Um, but I guess I guess it goes with like what makes something to you know, Lovecraftian, which Lovecraft really the first one to come up with those kind of concepts. Not, not really like those are just things that yeah. obviously fascinated him. And he wrote about a lot. The things that were uniquely Lovecraft don't show up in this movie. I don't think, um, 
But yeah, I mean, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Like we were talking about the Hellraiser influence. Like this certainly was probably influenced. I mean, there's there's no way you make this movie without thinking about Lovecraft a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think the movie is overtly Lovecraftian. I think it's it's a little more of a psychological um, haunted house movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. I uh, well, with a little. Yeah. It's just a little bit too much of. Uh, an alien. Well, and I think where remake, I also come but... to is I think there's a fair number of Lovecraft stuff that also is psychological haunted house. So that's where the parallel is. And I agree. He's not the first. Yeah. He wasn't the first one to come up with all of these concepts, but he was probably the first one to make them popular, at least to the yeah, level right. in which, you know, there's a reason people say the word Lovecraftian. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I think it, it, it fits, but I agree. It's probably a little overused. Um, yeah. probably by me as well because <laughs> I, I like many other diehard fans of Lovecraft I, I long for something you know so his work to be used in a really good film right and and there's been some yeah. decent ones but nothing nothing has really done it any of his work justice yet and so this I mean, there's is, In the Mouth of Madness yeah. John Carpenter's film and there's Stu Gordon's film Dagon I think are the only two that really kind of feel like they're yeah but and even even Dagon you know it's it's set it's updated I mean I'm I'm talking like I want period films period. I, I would I'll, I well, will say there's the Dreams um, in the Witch House again not really period though um, have you seen the the Call of Cthulhu uh, or Whisper in the Darkness movies that are made in period and even yes. to the point where they made they were made like silent films? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of the studio and the director that did those. Yeah. But they're they're fantastic. So yeah. I changed my mind. Those are those are my favorites because those are just such literal wonderful representations right. and also made in the style that would have been possible at the time when he was writing. So, well, and I think one of the problems with, cool. with truly adapting Lovecraft, though, and, and, and nothing against Stuart Gordon, I think his films are great. You know, Reanimator was great. It's not Herbert West Reanimator, yeah, but yeah. It, it's it's it. Those are great films, um, for on their own merit. But I think one of the things that I love so much about Lovecraft is how difficult it is to actually transcribe his work onto film because he really took kind of a lazy way out of a lot of things we, we give him credit for this but let's be honest it's a little lazy to say this creature is so grotesque you'll go mad by seeing it well what the hell does that mean <laughs> you know yeah. that's just like ah, i don't want to describe it so you'll just go crazy if i did um but so i think because there isn't anything really that we can do to really capture that the way it was written i think a lot of lovecraft fans pull from uh, to other works of art, other other media, and say this is Lovecraftian because it's getting some of the themes yeah. that I want to see, and and I think this fits. This is there's a reason why this one's mentioned so often, uh, because it fits in that. It, but no, it's not a. Yeah. Okay. And in that sense, I I guess I will I will recant and say in that sense, yes, it is generally Lovecraftian. It does deal with those themes certainly. Yeah. Um, but I see I see the point that it is overused because it's like. Lovecraft fans are like heroin addicts, and they're just trying to get a fix. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and we'll steer this back towards Event Horizon in a second. Just wanted to name drop. I mentioned that Call of Cthulhu mm -hmm. film. Um, it's so good that I just want to let everybody know if you haven't seen it and are interested in Lovecraft, you you need to see it. It's it's probably the my favorite thing that's ever been yeah. adapted, and it is the 2005 independent silent film. Um, Produced by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, Society uh, and specifically Sean Branry and Andrew Lehman. So, um, yeah, check that out. If there's, there's, it's out on DVD. 
uh, you can jump on Amazon and order it. And they've made a new one that I haven't seen, The Whisper in Darkness, which which I really want to see because it's one of my favorite stories, actually. So. They, they did some other shorts, too, by the way, um, uh, with, uh, I think they did something pertaining to Nyarlathotep, and there was some discussion about, I believe, about possibly doing a Pikmin's model, but I don't know if anything ever came about of that or if that was just a rumor, but huh. yeah. I will have to look into those, too. Yeah, yeah. I was really impressed with the Call of Cthulhu. Yes, show. I was, too. Anyway. But, yeah, um, with Event Horizon, though, I so, mean, I think, does it really hold up after all these years? Does it hold up to the hype that I received as a teenager when when I was told how absolutely terrifying it was from somebody peeking into the cinema? Um, no, I think, I think some of the... It is a bit dated, but yeah. uh, I think it's still... I think it's still a pretty effective film. If you could give this one a letter grade, what do you think? I'm going to go with a C plus on this one, and it's because I still think it's a pretty good movie. It's an entertaining watch, and it definitely has some really great, grotesque, genuinely frightening moments. But it's 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 also... Interestingly enough, a little bit of a what we call a slow. We talk about slow burns a lot yeah. on the show, but it it's not as like action packed as I remember it being. Like it does, it has this like nice pace of like creeping dread that kind of um, fills up the movie until everything just goes crazy. The scariest stuff in it comes from the the footage from the original Vent Horizon crew, and then the little bits and pieces at the end. Um, which makes me extremely sad that I didn't get to see that director's cut. We talk about director's cut a lot. They're not always like this revelation. And yeah. who knows? This one might not have been either. But it makes me wish that we could have seen some of the the other footage that was lost, especially since they put so much time and interest interesting decisions into making it. And the pieces of it that we did see got under my skin pretty pretty much right away. So I I would I don't know. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise, and actually it's creepier because you only see little bits and pieces. Who knows? But I would be interested to see it. Wish we could. I, I would be very um, interested in to general see this, yeah, to see that. In general, it's it's really nineties. I, I don't feel like it aged incredibly well. It's a bit derivative of Alien, um, but I still love the concept so much, and I think it's just generally a it, it's a decent movie. Um, I think more could have been done with this. I think it was a bit of a modest movie. The concept is bigger than this movie yep. was, and that could be for a lot of reasons, budget or whatever. But. Um, I wish that director's cut would have been possible. Yeah, anyway, so I yeah, C plus. I think it's a solidly entertaining movie. If anyone hasn't seen it, I still would recommend it. Just remember it's a little bit of its time. Um I wish it had a little more science in it, to tell you the truth. Um even if it was just like a five minute scene that got us a little better explanation of, of wormhole theory and um I think it would I know when people be like, well, it's, you know, it's a horror movie or whatever. It doesn't need that. But I feel like when you give it that backbone of realism or whatever and really get people to understand the concept, um, it actually makes it much more frightening because it, it, when you understand the concept that something could be really, you know, really, not that this could really happen, but you, you know what I'm saying? It would, um, makes it a little more frightening because it sets it up in our own universe, in a real place, you know? Yeah. Anyway. I, I think Where would you go on? What, what do you think about it? As weird as this is, um, I'll have what she's having. I mean, I would say it's exa- I would say the exact same thing. Yeah. It's I give it a C plus for the same reasons. I think it's a bigger concept than the film that was actually made. Um, 
and they could have done a lot more. That's why I would really love to see that footage get you know rediscovered and a director's cut put together. Throw it all in there. Let's you know see and, and distribute it with vomit bags. I don't care. I want to see yeah. how you know really how far they push the envelope on this. Um, I I would love to see a little bit more science put into it. I think we I, I think film going audiences of space sci-fi horror are clearly intelligent enough to take it so throw it in there let's see um this is one i i don't know i wouldn't mind seeing this one even remade um yeah i, I think I mean, it could be kind of cool I, I think the 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 concept of it is is really 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 smart it's on i think it's the smartest movie uh paul w S. anderson's ever made but it, yeah, it definitely is a film of its time it has its flaws looking back um, and and also it, looking at it through today's lenses, it, it has some flaws, but it's got a tremendous cast. They were dealing with a, a pretty decent budget at the time, and it, it's it's well written. You can it, it it feels like the biggest problem with the storytelling in this film is actually the editing and what was cut out. I I yeah I have a strong suspicion that more was cut out of this than just gore scenes. I, oh yeah, there was supposedly an entire like chapter of character development for the entire crew of yeah. the Lewis and Clark yeah. that was cut yeah. as well, which you can tell because they have all these like nicknames for each other and these kind of endearing things towards one another that are never developed earlier in the film. Um, so I, I I could tell that was missing without even knowing it was missing, if that makes sense. But. And it's also it's a I still will say though it what holds up about it too is that this is one of the coolest. 90s monster movies that doesn't have any monsters in it. I mean, it's Agreed. it's it, you 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 keep waiting for some creature effect and there aren't any because it's just no. people doing crazy shit uh because of this unseen evil force and it yeah, I I think in a in in today's day and age when we're really looking for something for this, you know, new good horror um i think this is one worth revisiting so yeah i recommend it uh just kind of know what you're you're getting into going into it that it it has its flaws but kind of look at it bigger picture look at it with a wide lens and there's definitely a lot of redeeming quality so i'll give it a c plus two and actually that's being probably very critical because i i think yeah i mean Again, this is going to go, like, last week when we talked about Night of the Demons, like, it's a movie I generally like. I have a, I have a good time watching it. I will certainly watch it again in my life. Uh, it just, when it comes down to, like, what is the actual, you know, how good is it when you weigh it up against, you know, yeah. whatever the criteria. And it's not perfect. So, I, I, think, I, I think I stand by that grade and um, doesn't mean that it's bad or that I don't enjoy it. I'd say the uh, biggest thing I, with this is it reminded me that God, we need more sci-fi horror films. We need more. We need more horror in space films it's because been a while God, it's a creepy a good concept. One, right? yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. and and I and I when we kept talking about Alien, I'm not even including the sequels. In as much as I like Aliens as a film, I'm not even including it that because that's that's more of an action yeah, I, movie. A good certainly a yeah. good scary ass space movie. You know, I think we need. I've more always of those. been a bigger fan of Alien. Alien is one of my favorite films of all time, and I do like it better than the sequel, and often people have the reverse opinion. Um, but that's why. I think it's just an incredibly scary movie, and um, the second one is fun. 
and it's a good action movie, good action sci-fi movie, but it loses that horror mm-hmm. element that I loved so much about the first yeah. one. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, well, cool. Yeah, I, I, though I was really happy to, to revisit once again Event Horizon, and, and it's this is another film that I think is it was just bound and destined to show up on the show at some point or another because it's a film, as I've been yep. talking to people about, oh, yeah, I just got done watching Event Horizon for the podcast. Oh, I haven't seen that in years. Yeah, that's the point, right? So Right, but, yeah. Pull it out, you yeah. know, and dig it out, and uh, check it out. It's definitely worth yeah. it. I just noticed, <laughs> by the way, um, I, I laugh, and that's going to be an off-air inside joke between Joe and I, but um, it has just popped up on Amazon Prime. It showed up two or three days ago. Oh, God. So, um, <laughs> anyway, well, it's, uh, yeah. it's there, so if everyone, anyone else wants to watch it on Prime, um, go ahead and uh, uh, enjoy. So, yeah, that's... Um, Coming up on the show, um, we have. What are we doing next week? We're doing. Um, we want to say what it is, I guess. The, yeah. the an interesting movie that I have vague memories of seeing sometime in my teens, I think. But it's uh, the Tom Hanks movie Mazes and Monsters, which is uh, kind of. If I if if I'm not if I remember correctly, kind of a. Uh, slam piece on dungeons and dragons yeah, huge yeah <laughs> so, um, it was a huge yeah, slam piece. the effects that it has on uh, people and, and, and a very and, interesting uh, so history interesting... very interesting history behind that one too that'll be a fun discussion because i've actually read a bit on the inspiration for the book that that tv movie is is uh kind of based on um so mm. that'll be a fun one and then after that um, we have some of the we, we we're going to take a break from horror and tragedy for a while and we're actually going to go to some comedies yeah so um we just uh was it just um his birthday or the anniversary of his death the other day i think it's the anniversary of his death um the other day but the uh saturday night live and comic actor chris farley we're going to look at a couple of his lesser known comedy films uh we all love tommy boy but we're not going to cover it (laughs) yeah not doing tommy boy uh, not doing um, dirty work or what are the other ones I love? I mean, he's Beverly Hills he's, Ninja. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we're gonna look at a couple. We the ones we just named we're not doing. So you can, I guess, I'll leave it up to guess which two we are. But one of them is one of my all-time favorite comedies, and most people have never seen it. Yeah, so. I agree. Same here. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, uh, and then after, see, we got yeah, go was it uh, some Tagashi Miike films we're gonna be covering? <laughs> yeah. Some of two of his God, that man has a incredible filmography. Oh my God, he pumps out two or three things a year. He's a busy, busy man. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, and actually, I do fa- want to mention real quick though that uh, on March sixteenth, we are going to be on location here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, at the Time Theater for Terror at the Times, where they're going to be showing Reanimator, a Lovecraft film. Uh, the stuff and Night of the Creeps and Video Junkyard Podcast will be there, handing out stuff and talking to folks. So come on out and, yeah. and see what's going on there. We're actually we're taking the sh- we're taking hello, the show on the road, <laughs> right down the street for me, but on the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will I will be in attendance, so I'll be coming up all the way from Chicago. No, it's not really that far, but anyway, yeah, we'll. Uh, 
looking forward to that. Yeah, good, good, good lineup of movies, and yeah. um, it'll be a lot of fun to. If you, if you guys don't recognize us, we'll be the ones handing out a bunch of stuff with Video Junkyard Podcast written all over it. So, um, come and say hi if you if you've heard the show or if you're listening to the show. Definitely, uh, yeah, come on over. Look us up. Otherwise, we'll be there. Otherwise, feel free to drop us a line. What do you think about Event Horizon? Do you think it's considered a Lovecraft film? Do you think it fits into another? Could it could it fit into another shared universe? Uh, give us your thoughts. You can email us at videojunkerpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Video Junker Podcast, and uh, download our episodes at SoundCloud. Uh, or shoot us a tweet at videojunkpod, which is our Twitter handle. Also, make sure if you have any thoughts about the film, um, go ahead and let us know. You can always shoot us an email as well if you want to write a lengthier review or something. Uh, it is videojunkyardpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and if you take the time to write a review, we will certainly get it on the show. You take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. And, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you and uh, get get your content featured on the Video Junkyard podcast. So. <laughs> As always, this is Joe Peterson. And I'm Eric Gilbranson. Have a good night. See you, everyone. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash videojunkyardpodcast on Twitter at videojunkpod and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard. <laughs>